We'll be in Isaiah 58 if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there with me. Um, just a couple housekeeping things. Um, we realize, like right now, that uh, in the state, um, COVID cases are, are kind of going crazy right now. And actually, that's why, looking around, um, you realize there's not as many people, and not because um, there's a lot of people that have it, but there are a lot of people in our church right now that are in quarantine and um, I've gotten some responses back of saying, hey, I'm not going to be there for a little bit because so-and-so at work or so-and-so at school. And so there's a lot of unknowns um, when it comes to this season, right? And we kind of knew this. Um, but it's interesting that we are probably, what are we, close to like 200 days right now, um, which is crazy to think. And so if you're tired, um, if you're kind of wondering, like, why do I feel like on edge most days, um, just realize we're all in this I don't like that phrase, but we are all in this uh, at 200-day almost level. And um, it, it, it kind of wears on you, and um, we're not through it yet. And so we, we are making plans currently um, to figure out what this next season is going to bring for us because we realize the holidays um, carry their own kind of rhythms. Um, and then as we look to Christmas, um, we are trying to figure out how do we continue to do kind of a hybrid for Christmas um, as of right now, I'll just put this out there. As of right now, uh, our plan is not to shut down um, if we start to get that realm again. I don't know if that'll get that way or not, but just preemptively, that's not our plan. But our plan is to offer services here and to do things as a hybrid to make sure that if you feel um, uncomfortable coming, uh, that you have a place to hear the sermon and hear the worship and be a part of it. And so we're doing things currently right now as we think about Christmas even, to think about how do we do that in a hybrid approach, knowing that as we're heading into the season, um, you know, we're, we're all going to be getting into regular flu season on top of this. So just so you're aware, um, we are um, looking at that as, as your leaders, and we're trying to make sure that we have that plan moving forward for you. Um, one of the things that we're currently doing as of right now uh, is we're trying to clean up some of the audio and some of the video. And so currently right now we are testing out some YouTube options um, in the back right now. I don't know how it's going in the back. David's kind of looking at it currently, but it seems fine. Uh, so hopefully we get some YouTube stuff back up and running and our, our audio quality will be a lot better. I've heard a lot of people say, I'd love to watch you online, but your, your audio is really terrible. And so I turn off within five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, I understand. And so we're trying to make some improvements so that as you head into the holidays, you have options and opportunities in front of you. And so we are working on that currently. Um, As was mentioned possibly earlier, we're trying to do some things even outside um, as we look to the new sign and things that hopefully will be coming out there um, on the building and some things just to kind of, um, I don't know, hopefully draw people back into a place that they feel comfortable being here or in their living rooms, giving them an opportunity to worship together there. Uh, regardless, as we head into the holidays, I'm excited because we want to make sure that we're thinking of you and your family so that you can have discussions around your dinner tables. Uh, and so we're going to be giving you questions throughout that series as well. So um, last but not least, um, we are finishing up renewal this week, and then we're going to look at generosity the next two weeks, and then we hit Advent already, which is crazy to think. So Advent will begin on November 29th, and we have chosen to go through the book of Philippians together, and the theme of Christmas this year is choosing joy. Um, And we chose the word choosing on purpose, (laughs) because we all know we're supposed to have it, but oftentimes it's a choice, and we want to talk about what that looks like for the Christmas season. So it's going to be a a lot of fun, and uh, we got some things to do with that. So that's kind of where we're heading, just some... um, 
housekeeping items when it comes to that. And uh, we want to let you know that whether you're here or whether you're online, we're excited that you're with us this morning. And um, we are going to jump into Isaiah 58 together, okay? So Isaiah 58, um, we are here because Isaiah 58 is God's heart for revival. And we are entering into a text where the people of Israel have been fasting and praying and they've done the right steps and yet they come to God saying, hey, we've done the right steps. What gives? We didn't hear from you. What happened? We did everything right and you're not communicating back. What's going on? And that's the the theme. As we head into this, you may be feeling that. Um, but regardless of, of how you're feeling as we come into the text, I want you to take this morning um, and I want you to run it through the lens of a relationship or a couple relationships that are currently in your life. So here's what I mean by that. As we look through this text, I want you to be thinking of the current relationships you have in your life. And I want you to be running this text through those because you're going to see that relationships are key to this text. You see, the people of Israel's issue was simply this, that repentance is not for the purpose of getting God to do something, but rather to realign our relationship to its proper state. We've looked at repentance the last two weeks, but I think oftentimes we can miss the fact that repentance is not for the purpose of just getting God to do something. It's not just getting God to act but rather to realign our relationship to its proper state. And, 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 he, and I believe 100% through the stories and conversations that I've had over these last 21 days, that's what's been happening. God hasn't been doing something of getting God to move or do something. What's been happening is in, in, our, in the lives of people here at Community that there's a realignment to the relationship to God to its proper state. And that is beautiful and amazing and a faithfulness of God to do so. And that's what God's going to be getting at here in Psalm 58. Our main point this morning is this. God desires times of intentional prayer and fasting for the sake of others and not for our, just for ourselves. Let me say that again. Main point this morning is this. God desires our intentional prayers and fasting for the sake of others and not just for ourselves. So if you get nothing else, that's where we're heading into this morning. God says, I want these times of 21 days to prayer not just to be about you. I want these to be about other people. Remember last week, uh, we talked about the three walls, right? That, that we can put walls or these dams up that are like holding back what God's doing. And we can, we can assume that it's just me and, me and Jesus, me and God, and then we build the wall here. And we said last week, those walls need to come down so that whatever God is doing in your life can happen through other people. And that's what we're going to see here this morning in Isaiah 58. Let's begin in verse 1 through three. I love this. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. He first says, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice. And he says this in verse two, um, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to their God. He says it's, it's this crying out loud, which is really interesting. This phrase in the Hebrew is, is this idea of coming from the throat. <laughs> uh, if you were to put it in, in football terms or in sports terms, it's kind of the, you got to say it from your chest. You got to kind of really just kind of own it, embrace it, and just give it to somebody, right? It's the in-your-face kind of conversations. It's the, it's the conversations we don't normally typically have in normal relationships, but on a sporting arena, 
these conversations happen all the time. Like the guy blows the play. The coach is not over there being like, you know, it's okay, brother. You know, you're fine. Um, that just mishappens and mistakes. No, it is like in your face. And you know some of the coaches that they're like literally grabbing the helmet and they're bringing it in their face and be like, why are you dumb? Stop being dumb. We need to win this, right? Those are the conversations that are happening here. God is saying to these people, get their attention coming from your chest. Like this is kind of the big from our throat. This is the loud announcement. And he says, declare to my people their transgressions. He says, they seek me daily, but it's not happening. It's, it's the equivalent of, if you've ever worked on a car or vehicle and you're turning the bolt the wrong way and you don't realize you're turning the bolt the wrong way until you've screwed the thing so tight that you can't get it back off and you're like, ah, you've been working against yourself the whole time. You don't realize it and how frustrating that is. That's these people's frustration level. They've been working themselves against God for so long and God's reminding them, you've been doing it wrong. You've been doing it wrong. You're trying to get your your time with me, and it's not working. That's what's happening here. They're doing it wrong. And as a result, they ask this in verse 3, verse 3, part A. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Why, God? I've been praying. I've been doing all the right stuff. It feels as if I'm, 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 I'm trying to do the right thing, but you're not responding. And I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there where it's supposed to be this refreshing time with God and there's just silence. And I think what often happens, and I'm much like Israel in this, is that I expect God to work on a contract, in a contractual way and not in a relationship way. I want certainty. I want my relationship to, of God to go like this. I agreed to X and so you must do this, right? I agreed to do this part so you deliver on your part. Very contractual, very certain. But here's the thing. God in this passage and in our lives in 2020, I think, is continually reminding us it's not about the contract. It's about the relationship. I love what one theologian said in one of the commentaries I was reading in preparation for this morning. He said this, To be called a Christian is not, first of all, a system of ideas or a system of ethics. It is first and foremost God breaking into our lives and that breaking in will change our ideas and our behaviors. You see, I think for so many of us, we want it just to be a system of ideas and system of ethics. If I believe the right things and debate the right theology, then I'm good. But God is saying it is not first and foremost this, it is first and foremost a God breaking into our lives. It could be, Uh, that we see this as somewhat of a transactional thing and not a relational thing. It's almost a relationship with Christ in which you are keeping score once, once a week or, or once, once a month with God. And you're trying to make sure that you're, you're upping on the right things and, 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 and not doing the wrong things. And it's just this system of up and down point system. And when it gets to that level of relationship with God, it, it gets to be unhealthy, just as a quick caveat here, let me kind of speak to this just, just for a second, then we can right back into the text. But I thought this was really important. It's something I'm learning, and I think this may be helpful when we think of the idea of not being contractual and being this thing of relationship. When we were out in um, Pennsylvania for just some time away with some friends of ours, um, they were the kind of friends that just kind of share the right things at the right time with you. You ever have those? You know what I mean? Just, they, they nail you when you need to be nailed with, with truth, and they're comforting when you need to be comforted. And um, we were having conversation, and um, one, somewhere along the way, there was a conversation about accountability um, and how most often we feel a need for accountability. And 
it's not a bad thing to have accountability in relationships, but it was an interesting phrase that um, she said, you know, I think maybe it's less about accountability and more about accessibility into people's lives. And, and I thought, that's an interesting statement. What do you mean by that? And so I kind of was thinking about that a lot since there, and I've, I've shared it with some of you in this room even, when we talk about accountability versus accessibility. And let me just kind of explain that, because I think it fits this text. When it's just accountability, it can be a check-in system, either with a boss. It, it's an accountability that is a check-in system that almost kind of feels like a parole officer in your Christian relationships. When you have accountability uh, in a relationship and it's just accountability, um, it, it, kinda, it can never really flourish when it's just accountability or transactions, you will only fight for your marriage and not for your spouse. When it's just accountability, you'll only fight for Christianity and not for God himself. And when it's just accountability, my fear is sometimes you'll fight for your church as a whole and not the people in your church. Accountability says, I will keep score. They've wronged me X amount of times, and so I just need to come back here. And with any relationship, when it moves into the realm of keeping score, and it's just about keeping score, you've moved out of healthy accountability. And some of us in the room, me included, can often become great statisticians, statisticians in our marriages of keeping score of how many times I've been wronged and how many times I haven't. Sometimes we can be great statisticians with our friends. They've wronged me X amount of times, and I'm just going to hold that against them, and I'm not going to forgive them for those things that they've done against me or said against me. And some of them are even great statisticians to the people in your church, uh, people here at Community, um, or even your pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there are some of those who have, I've hurt uh, along the way um, who are um, unable to just kind of have a conversation. And I, I understand that there's the, those things that when accountability just kind of digs in, it, it's about keeping score. And accountability through keeping score will not allow you to go to the next level in any relationship, your child, your spouse, your friends. When it's only about accountability, and don't get me wrong, accountability is good. But when it's just accountability, I don't know that your friends will ever allow you access to the deeper things in your life if it's just about keeping score. Because ultimately what we want is not accountability. And this is what um, a friend of ours was getting to. We want access. We want accessibility to your entire life. And whatever you open up in your life and whatever you allow people into, that's true growth. When you can start to say, you know what? So let me just put it this way. I think so often I've had accountability partners, and they're great. But what, typically what we do is we meet for coffee, and we go over my list of sins. How many times have I sinned? How many times have I haven't? And what are you going to do to fix it? And then we just go home. That's pretty much what happens on a regular basis. And that's probably what you've been told to do. If you have some kind of ongoing sin in your life, get the accountability partner, talk about your sins, feel guilty, go home, and then do better, right? Which is fine. What I'm finding, though, is when I have those kind of conversations in another way of accessibility. And I go into those conversations with that other guy and I can say, you know what? You have full access to everything in my life. Everything. Nothing is off limits. You can ask me about anything in my life. Not just the negative things, but the good things. And you can have full access to my life. 
That's different. Because access is refreshing. It's an invitation. It's the coach's mentality that says, I'm willing to take you as far as you're willing to go. But I can't take you as far as you're willing to go unless I have full access into your life. Access means that our entire lives are open and not just our sins and our failures. Let me say that again. Access means that our entire lives are open to somebody else, not just your sins and your failures. And I fully believe that when somebody has fully access into your life, then growth happens. Israel was far more about accountability than they were of fully having access. They were saying to God, we will do the right things. We'll we'll, we'll repent of the right things. We'll meet for coffee. I'll tell you all the ways I've messed up. I'll tell you all the ways I'm going to do it better. And then we'll move on. God was saying to Israel and he's saying to us, I believe this morning, it's not about just accountability. It's about access into your entire life. And you're going to see that here in a second. Continuing in verse 3, going into verse 4, Isaiah 58 says this, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Two times he uses the word behold. Two times he's saying you're seeking your own pleasure. You're doing it for your own benefit. And the reason you, and the, the proof I have for this is you're quarreling and you're fighting and you're even hitting with a wicked fist. Church in 2020, can I just ask the question online, especially, are we just throwing haymakers <laughs> with each other, hoping to land on somebody and hit somebody, and, and never having an actual conversation? We talk about going to church, and we talk about having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but can we admit to the fact that sometimes we're just throwing fists out there, and God's kind of looking at Israel saying, hey guys, if this whole thing of like fasting and repentance is actually legitimate, I should be seeing some real proof, and all I'm seeing, he says to Israel, is seeking your own pleasure and quarreling and fighting and hitting with wicked fists. And he says, this is not how it's going to work. Sadly, we'll never actually have a face-to-face conversation. And God's saying, I want more of those in your life. He's talking to these people of Israel saying, you're you're not doing the right things. And then he continues in verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed or to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Why you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? He says, it's not just about the outside. It's not just about doing the routines. It's not just about doing the things that apparently you think are working to this fast. He says, it's, it's, it's an accountability on a deeper level. It's accessibility to their entire lives. Accountability kept them at the surface. Accountability kept them doing all the rules, putting on the sackcloth, showing God how sorry they were. Access lets God into all of their lives and allows them not to just deal with the sin, but also the joy that's been diminished in their lives and why this revival is not truly happening. So God has entered into this conversation with Israel and he says, hey, you've been doing it wrong. I'm coming at you because you've been doing it wrong. And if you truly want to know what a 21-day prayer renewal focus would look like, here's what it would look like. He's talking to Israel and says, if you want to know what fasting really looks like and it's really profitable, here's what it looks like. 
And it's broken down into three if-then sections, okay? So if you're taking notes, um, there's three if-then sections we're going we're to uh, look at here this morning. Um, section 1 is verses 6 to 9a. Section 2 is 9b to verse 12. And then the last section is 13 to 14. So we're just going to go verse by verse through this thing. 6 to 9a is the first section, 9b to 12. And then 13 to 14 is broken down into these if-then sections. And how amazing is it, side note, that God is so faithful to his people Israel that they think and, and work out of contra- contractual ways of thinking, and God comes to them in verses one and verses six through fourteen, and says, "Okay, if you're thinking contracts, let me just kind of show you contracts. If you do this, then this will happen." Okay, and so he's going to get into these these three sections. These are beautiful. Here we go. Uh, section number one is verses six through nine a fifty eight six. So the if is found in the is not this. Okay, so think of that is not this is the if. Okay. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of the wickedness of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? He says, is not this the fast to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps on the yoke, to let go the oppressed and to break every yoke? He'll say even in verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your, into your homes and when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And so this first section, we see God asking this question and he starts to kind of then lay out here this idea of loosing the bonds that were holding them back. He says, I want you to undo the straps of the yoke of the oppressed. I want you to let the oppressed go free. And I want you to break every yoke. You could basically add in the verse 7, like I said, the hungry, the lights, the sustainability. And here's interesting with all of these, right? The undo, the let, the break, they all have to do with freedom. And if you look at verse 7, isn't it interesting that when the th- things he tells them to do, when he says share, bre- break bread with the hungry, it's life and sustainability that we're offering to other people. When he says bring homeless people into their homes, he says, I want you to give shelter to people. And then he says, I want you to cover those without clothes. In verse 7, it's a dignity that we bring to people. And all of this is flowing to people outside of us, not just ourselves continues in verses 8 to 9a. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Isn't that amazing? He says, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. We'll see that in a second. But here's, here's what he's getting at. He says, if you do those things, then these other things will happen. If you undo the straps, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, then you will see light, you will see healing, you will see guidance, protection, and God's presence. If you do these things, these things will happen. And I wonder sometimes in the church today, if God's not saying, I would love to show you light, healing, guidance, protection, God's presence, but I'm not seeing you do any of the things in verses six to seven. You're about sustaining your own selves and you're about making sure that you exist as a church, but are you doing things for other people? Are you loosening their chains? Are you undoing their yokes? Are you letting them go free? Are you breaking addictions in people's lives that are carrying around these heavy, heavy weights? 
And all of this gets more practical in conversation when we start to think of the focus again, as we said at the very beginning, of not focusing on ourselves, but on others. On your phones, uh, there is that wonderful little camera uh, that you can hit that one button on the camera, and it immediately goes from the focus being out there to the focus being here, right? So I threw this up there because I want you to kind of see this, right? So I can look at the camera and I can actually, you know, focus on the, the people that are in front of me, or I can continue just to kind of hit the button and then I just, it's me and my life and my needs and my, my things that are going on in my life. Now, God is saying in this passage, true revival, true repentance, true working of God happens when the camera is focused on others and not focused on me. When the camera is focused on others, we will loose their chains. We will undo the straps of the yoke of the oppressed. We will let the oppressed go free and we will break the yokes. Isn't that amazing? What if, now this is just, this is just for me, right? What if the church... What if our church was known as the church that like, man, when I met them, I just felt free. I just felt like whatever I had going on in my life, I could, I could turn over to Jesus and he just took it off me. There was a lightheartedness to that church. There was just a genuineness to that church. They wanted the best for me. They didn't want the others because here's what happens. That's when we look at others. When we, we turn the camera and it's just focus on us, When Israel was just focused on them, God started going after them and saying, hey, when it's just focused on you, you bind harder, you tighten the bonds, you don't undo them, you keep captive the oppressed, and you add yokes when it's just on you. Because everything's stressful and everything's on me, and when it's just focused on you, the tendency is that we we don't give people grace We tighten the bonds even tighter on them than we did before. We keep them captive through fear and guilt, and we add to the yoke of whatever the weight is that they're already carrying and feeling as if they will never be able to carry the full weight of in their life. Now, that happens outside the church, but that also happens inside our families. We can do it to our kids very easily. When it's just about us, we can miss it. Not only that, but in this first section, he says the if part was loosing the, chain, loosing the straps of the oppressed and breaking every yoke. But he also said there's the, the then, right? So then, if the, if the camera is focused on other people, the then becomes amazing. There is light in the lives of those outside of the church. There is light in those in your family. When, when, when it is focused on other people, there is light, there is healing, there is guidance and protection, and there is presence all offered in verses 8 and 9. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry, and he will say, I am here. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and spreading wicked, speaking of um, wickedness. He says, when it's focused on others, there's light, there's healing, there's guidance, protection, there's presence. When it's focused on me, and the camera is just in selfie mode the entire time. It becomes about darkness, which is the opposite of light, disease, the opposite of healing, defeat, the opposite of guidance and protection, and separation from God and not the presence of God. You see, God is telling Israel, he's telling us as the church, it's about other people. It's always been about other people. It's always been about me working through you, putting down the wall 
and allowing what I'm doing in your life to spread into your family and to, into your coworkers and those around you. The first if-then says, if you do these things, then these things will happen. When you loose the chains, when you undo, then these things will happen. He continues. It gets a little more practical um, here. But before we get there, let me kind of give you this one, one other quote from one of the commentators. He says this, light in this, in this section, light will split the darkness like the dawn. New skin will stretch itself over the wounds that have separating, which is basically festering and infected. Before us will go righteousness, and behind gathering up the stragglers will come the glory of the Lord. That's amazing. I'm like, what if this season the church was known for light that will split the darkness like the dawn? What would that mean for our community? That new skin will stretch itself over the wounds that have been festering and infected. That we, as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ, with our coworkers, with our family, with people who strongly disagree with us in every single way, that instead of irritating it and poking at it, we add new skin that will stretch itself over the wounds that have been festering and infected. What if the church was the calm and the balm of, of healing on people? They would come in droves is what would happen. And before us will go righteousness, and behind us, gathering up all the stragglers, will come the glory of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? What if you were so in a relationship with Christ that he, he elevated his, your love for him so much that his righteousness went ahead of you in every conversation, in every relationship, and behind you when you left the conversation, when you left the relationship, he was still drawing them and bringing them to the glory of God all because you were focusing on bringing light and healing and protection. That's the kind of fasting he's going after. The second section of if-thens goes from 58.9b to 10a. If you take away the yoke from your midst, again, and the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, 10b to 11, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Verse 12, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. That's amazing. He's speaking to Israel here, specifically. He says, imagine if your renown and your reputation was good again. Because at this point in time, this is around Ezra and Nehemiah-ish, their reputation wasn't really good. And they were just seeking themselves there's actually commentaries that say that, that, that many in Israel at this point in time were even saying of their, um, their slaves that they had, they would say, we're letting them go, but they didn't really let them go. They would say that they, they, they said they went to worship, but they really didn't. They said they, they, they followed God with their whole hearts and their whole lives, but ultimately they were just eat, eating each other alive. I love the hope that he gives in verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. It is 2020. 
And I fully believe that the church is at a really great opportunity, crossroad, whatever you want to call it. It is at a great place right now. And you're like, what do you mean? (laughs) Have you seen it lately? I know. But what if the church in 2020 could be the one to raise up the foundations of many generations to follow us? What if we didn't mess this up? What if we got this right? And the generations that followed us would say, wow, that's how you work through a pandemic. Wow, that's how you love people who are opposite of you. Wow, that's how you deal with hatred and strife and animosity in a world gone crazy. What if the church got it right and raised up foundations for many generations so that we were called? This is amazing. I love this. And maybe it's just me that gets geeked up by this, but I love this. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. That people want to be around you. That people see you as repairers of a culture and restorers of streets to dwell in. We need the church to be this more than ever. We do. We need to be the ones that are going out and making a difference and not just staying in our holy huddles with just me and Jesus and and my life with Jesus. And I just got to make sure that I get to church and worship because that's just about me and my God time. What if it's less about that and saying, what are you doing to restore those who are broken, those who are underneath yokes of oppression, those who are not free? And the church left the building and said, I want to be in your life. I want to help you raise up. I want to take that yoke off of your back and see that there's freedom. I want to loose those bonds that you're carrying so heavily every single day. And I want to take them off you because there's freedom found in Jesus. That's my hope that as we end this time of renewal and revival, that we kind of just get past our own selves and our own navel gazing. I hate to put it that way, but it's true. And we start to look outside of ourselves and say, what if this was the time God used the church in powerful ways to restore the foundations for the generations behind us? Because it's not about us. I want our kids to be in church. I want this next generation to outshine this generation. I want our next generation to blow this generation out of the water in their faith with Jesus. I want them to see the church yeah, maybe it's, it's stuttering along right now. But I want them to see the people of Jesus leading the way so that they have the courage to do things we couldn't do. To be the repairs of the breach and the restores of the streets to dwell in. He wraps it all up in 13 and 14. If you turn back from your, your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Gosh, what a great if-then statement, right? If you enjoy my presence and if you take care of those around you and you let Christ shine into their lives and and go out for their freedom and and, and releasing them from their oppression, if you do those things, then I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's amazing. God says, I want you to be living this out in other people. So here's some questions I want to close with this morning as we think about not just accountability, but accessibility to God in our 
our whole lives, and then taking that access to people who need it so that they would have freedom from whatever they are dealing with. Here's some closing questions that I want you to think about this week um, as you wrestle with this passage. What are you doing with the freedom that you have been given? What are you doing with the freedom you've been given? Is it just about me and my rights and make sure that I, I have a relationship with Jesus? It's just me and him, me and him, me and him. Or do you take the freedom and you deliver it to somebody who doesn't have it? You take it to somebody who's really underneath some pretty heavy weights and you let them get free as well. Number two, are you living as free people, spreading that freedom in all of your relationships? And I'm talking about outside the church walls. I'm also talking about inside your families. Are you living as free people, spreading that freedom in all your relationships? In, in, in the relationship with your spouse, in the relationship with your kids, would they say that you are spreading freedom in all of your relationships? Or are you spreading fear and control and selfishness? How are you spreading freedom in all of your relationships? And lastly, question is, are you using it as a vehicle to exalt yourself at the expense of others? Because Israel was using this fasting and praying as a vehicle to exalt themselves of how good they were at the expense of their families, at the expense of their nation, and at the expense of those around them. So that people would look to these people in Israel and they're like, I don't want that. That's gross. That's just about you and your whatever it is you want to do. Would we be a church that people from the outside would look and say, wow, they have so much freedom and they're using it in a way that is benefiting us in the community. There is a freedom that is found in that church. As we close this morning, I want to go out with just a declaration. Um, One that says that we are truly alive because Christ has made us that. That we have searched the things of this world and they have left us wanting. And that Christ is the one that will turn the lives of those in our community around. That as we live this out, he will raise them up. Let me close this in prayer and then we'll sing out one song as we head out of here as our declaration together. God, thank you so much for this morning. Got a tough passage to hear. Um, A tough passage because we ultimately sometimes feel like we are doing the right thing and and trying to just get a relationship with you right, but but you've told us it's bigger than that. The true fasting and repentance comes when we go out and live it out to those who have no relationship with you. It's lived out when we go and we take the chains of oppression off of them and we lift them up and give them dignity and give them stability. Would we do so? Not just those outside the church walls, uh, but God, would you do it in our families as well, that we would lift up our spouses. We would, we would embrace them and teach them what freedom in Christ looks like. We would show our kids what freedom in Christ looks like, not living in fear and condemnation, but instead following you. God, thank you for this morning. We pray that as we sing out this last song, this is our declaration to you, that you can transform lives. You've done it before and you will do it again. We ask that you use us in powerful ways during this holiday season as we head into it together. You're praying. Amen.